0: Praise God. So this morning, uh, this is actually the message that I had planned on preaching last week. And I told you last week that uh, I thought it was strange when God told me to preach on what I did because normally He has me preach about something that we're dealing with in the church or something we're going through. And I, I felt like it was, it was kind of strange that He had me preach on this. It was kind of a preventive maintenance type message, you know. But what I want to preach on today was actually what I had initially decided I was going to preach on before God told me to, to kind of change my plans on Friday. And then I went and listened to Pastor Andy speak, and it, and it dawned on me that that's why he wanted me to wait, because what we're going to talk about today actually ties in to the message that he talked to us that, that Wednesday night, the declaring your promises. You remember he talked about declaring your promises. You know, it's a time to, a time to stop asking God, but it's a time to start declaring what is already true. And I've entitled this message, Taking Hold of Your Promise. And the subtitle is, The Church Has Enough Passive Christians. You know, I believe that we need to, as Christians, as a whole, we need to stand up and and stop being so passive. We need to stand up, stand against the enemy, uh, stand against uh, those who would uh, try to tear God down. Just stand up as as mighty men and women of God. We need to stop being so wishy-washy in our thinking. We need to stop being so mealy-mouthed and just, you know, the words that come out of our mouth aren't, aren't aligned with the Word of God. And with the, when they are, there's no confidence behind them. There's no boldness behind them. It's just kind of, I'm just going to say it and hope something good happens type stuff. But I started thinking about it. Is, why, as Christians, do we, do we behave like this? Why do we sometimes disregard the promises of God in our life? Or why do we sometimes uh, not think of them as 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 powerful and as strong and as encouraging as they really are so i got to thinking about what promises mean in society today and truthfully a promise today is not quite the same as a promise probably even 50 years ago when a man made a promise 50 years ago it was going to get done there was no there was no doubt about it but today in our society promises are kind of used as a carrot to get people to do stuff you know they they're not they're not anything about to do with the integrity of the man who gives them sometimes they're just used to try to get somebody else to do something uh, that they want done it's it's to, to manipulate people you know, we've seen plenty of times that people have promised stuff in our lives and they never deliver. They either ultimately have just lied to us or they just disappear. They make a promise and they were never there. And the truth is, this even happens in the church. And the reason for that is because ultimately the church is full of people just like you and me who sometimes don't live the life that we should be living. We, we make mistakes, we stumble, we don't keep the promises we make. So even in the church, we see promises get made that aren't necessarily held on to. They're not necessarily delivered like they should. So the question I ask, if even in the church we have promises not being upheld by the men that give them, the women that give them, does that change who God is? Does that lessen God's promise because men don't do what they're supposed to do? Just something to think about. And then also something we see in the church that we don't ever see in the Bible is people begging God to do stuff in their lives. You never, oh, please, God, if if it be your will, please heal me, God. Please, please make me better. If it's your will, God, oh, please, 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 God, make me better. Please, 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 God, let me have this. Let me have that. You never see people begging in the Bible. So the question I ask is, why would we wonder if God is going to give us something when he said that he would? You know, when we have these promises in the Bible, it's not, uh, I hope that he'll do this, or he might do this, but they're, they're promises because they're, they're solidified. They're the truth of the Word of God. The truth is that we need to, like Pastor Ryan, we need to declare God's promises in our lives and move on like they already are there. We need to move on like that; they are a reality and not just sit there wondering if God's going to make these things manifest in our life. We need to behave as if it's already so. And you'll find when you walk in that kind of faith, when you stand up and declare those promises, you begin to see them uh, move in your life because your faith is acting. Your faith is activating those promises in your life. The truth is, as Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Sometimes... Even when it seems like the, the promises of God are not happening in our life, we walk by faith. We walk as though they are, because your sight can deceive you from time to time. And then another reason I think we have trouble trouble as Christians is in this society when we see a lot of bait and switch, right? Promise. I mean, look at our advertising today. You look at the 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 advertising. You, you go into. I just went ate at Denny's the other day at one of my sites there in, on Valencia uh, and uh, I nineteen thereabouts. There's a Denny's right there, and I came out of the, the, the clinic that I was in, and we walked over at and ate dinner, and I got this um, the chicken. It was like a uh, country fried chicken skillet, and the picture looked awesome. It was, the thing was full, all the food. It looked great, and when it came out, like the plate wasn't full. The stuff was kind of burned. It was all tiny, and I'm like, this is not the same. You know, we see that in our society. I mean, basically, it looks something like this. You see a picture it looks like this. I mean, that's a good looking burger, but this is what you get. This is what they, that's what they promise? That's what you get. And I think sometimes we try to apply that to God sometimes. I think because that's what we're so used to. You know, the Bible says that, that he promises that I will have an abundance and be taken care of, but in our head we're like, well, that's what the picture says, but this is our experience, that what are we really going to get? So I think sometimes we have tr- trouble trusting God because, because we do dumb things in this life. Amen? So let's, uh, let's dig into the Word this morning and let's see what we have to know about the, the kingdom of heaven and his promises. In Matthew 11:12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. Anybody ever heard this verse before? Anybody ever wondered what it meant? I don't know, it seems like kind of a strange verse. And I went ahead, and, and in my Bible, there's the little footnotes that talks about different ways that they translate things. And this, the heaven suffers violence, uh, means that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully entered. And here, violent men take it by force, or they seize it for themselves. See, I want to point out something now that as we look at this verse, that Christianity, being in the kingdom, is not about being timid. It's not about being fearful. As Christians, we're to be bold. We're to stand strong. In, the, in 2 Timothy 1, seven it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, or a spirit of fear, as many of you have heard it, but of power and love and discipline, or of sound mind. As Christians, we're not supposed to be timid. Right here it says that the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence or is forcefully entered. What that means is that that men are grabbing hold of the kingdom of heaven. They're standing up and making a stand. They're declaring what God has said about them. They're not just sitting back hoping that God's going to toss them salvation someday, but they're standing up and grabbing hold of it. It says the violent men take it by force. And what this doesn't mean is physical violence it's not talking about physical violence it doesn't mean we're violent towards others, but it means that we stand strong and forcefully declare God's will for us i mean you can uh uh in in a courtroom setting when they say that the 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 the, the lawyer can. <laughs> But the lawyer is, is forcefully making his point apart. Or he's forcefully uh, interrogating the witness. How many of you know that doesn't mean he's hitting him with a with a tube of salami, or a rolled up phone book? I see that look in your face. That's how they used to do it. So no bruises showed in the old days. You hit him with salami, you can beat him, but there's no bruises. So no, so don't give me that look. <laughs> You're getting some. <laughs> yeah. If I'm walking around sore with no bruises, this one right here. <laughs> I don't know. Note to self, don't give my wife any more ideas. <laughs> so, but how many know you can be violent? You can be forceful in your attitude without physically harming somebody. And that's what I'm getting at here. This doesn't mean that, that these people are being violent or physically hurting people, but they're, they're being violent in their attitude. They're standing strong, they're not backing down. You know, the truth is that that we need to stand strong and forcefully declare God's will for our lives. We need to forcefully stand against the schemes of the enemy. and We need to boldly proclaim the gospel. And Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. How many know that being forceful and violent with people is not going to do anything? It's not going to get us anywhere. And that's not what we're called to do. But we are called to stand bold and violent and aggressive towards the attacks of the enemy and to aggressively proclaim God's promises in our lives. And truthfully, sometimes the struggle is not even that deep. Sometimes we struggle against ourselves. Against our own fear and doubt, we cause ourselves problems. But the truth is that we need to, to be bold and, and uh, forcefully proclaim the will of God to ourselves. We need to preach to ourselves with, with passion and conviction. In 1 John 3:19 through 20, it says, We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, because our God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Sometimes your heart is going to condemn you. You're going to try to condemn yourself of what's going on. But the Bible says that we need to assure our heart before him. And we do that by, by standing up. And sometimes you've got to say it out loud. You've got to yell at what's going on in your life and, and just tell it to back down. You know, this, this verse in the Amplified Bible is said like this. So, from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault, and violent men seize it by force. And here's the amplified part. It says, as a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. That's how we should be proclaimed. That's how we should be trying to get a hold of the promises of God in our life. As a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. Is that our attitude in our, in our walk with God? Is that our attitude? Or are we just sitting back waiting for something to happen, just watching time goes by? Are we just sitting down on our blessed assurance? Or are we standing up proclaiming the, the, the promises of God in our life? The truth is the kingdom of heaven and the promise of God, these are, these are great prizes and they're worth standing up for. They're worth getting off our butt to start taking a stand. In Matthew 10, 34 through 36, it says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. You know, this right here is, is uh, speaking in an earthly sense. He says he did not come to bring peace. Now, the truth is, Christ came to bring peace spiritually to us. He gave us a new spirit inside of us, and and the old man is dead and gone. But as far as earthly thinking goes, he didn't come to bring peace. And what does he mean by that? See, the the Jews thought that that, uh, the Savior was coming, the Messiah was coming to free free them from earthly tyranny. They were going to free them from these governments that were oppressing them. But he says, I didn't come to bring peace like that. He said, I'm going to cause problems when I come. And most of us have probably experienced that in our lives. You know, when, when we got saved, how many know that you and all your family members and friends didn't just go sit around a campfire and start singing songs together? But all of a sudden, there was some headbutting going on. There was some, some stuff going on. And they're like, wait a minute, you're not who you used to be. What's going on here? And that's what he's talking about. I just want you guys to know that the, 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 as we go through these next few verses is that the kingdom of heaven is about being strong and not timid. There's, there's some violence involved. There's some aggression involved in the kingdom of heaven. You see, taking a stand and proclaiming the goodness of God can cause a stir around you. Proclaiming his life for somebody can cause problems around you. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, the problem is there are some people that hear what you're saying and they just think it's crazy. They don't want anything to do with it. And I mean, we see it all around us. People are, are suing schools and governments and stuff, trying to get Christ out of everything. Because it's, it's causing problems. Not, it's not causing peace, it's causing problems. And the truth is, there's going to be people who are offended if you just preach to them. There are going to be people that will be offended if you mention that you're a Christian. You know, I, I recently found out that there were some people that were, they were upset that I, they felt like I was pressing my religion on them because I invited them to church once. I you know that, that, that telling people about Jesus is going to cause problems? Even something that simple. But unfortunately, as a whole... I think as, as, a, as Christians as a whole, we're, we're shying back to avoid all this turbulence. You know, our, our life's a little bit easier if we don't tell anybody about Jesus because there's, you don't get that conflict. You don't have any of those problems. We, we shy back. We don't even invite people to church anymore. I was reading a study that says only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. I mean, a church is small. That means like only somebody's foot every now and then thinks about 2%. I mean, that's... I don't even have enough, enough people to make that math work for a single one of us to invite someone to church, statistically. Now, I know that's not true in this church, but statistically, 2% of people invite others to church. 98% of church goers, go, goers never extend an invitation in a given year but you want to hear the other side of that statistic 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they were invited 82% would probably attend church if they were just invited but 98% of people that go to church won't invite them there's a problem there. There's a, there's a fear and timidity that's, that's overtaking the church instead of standing up and boldly proclaiming what God has for themselves and for others. And the truth is, you don't need to beat people over the head with a Bible to stand up for the kingdom of heaven. Taking a stand does not mean judging people or condemning people. What it does mean is, is standing and proclaiming God's goodness to proclaim His promises in our lives, and even for others, and letting people see His love live in you. You know, I you should never have a have a time when people go, "Oh, you're a Christian." I mean, people should know by the way you live your life. Amen. Second Kings six fifteen through seventeen is is another reason why I think that we have so many problems. Uh, being bold and, and being aggressive and violent in the, in the kingdom of heaven is because we're afraid we're out there alone. I think sometimes we're afraid that, that, that it's just us and, and the other person that God's nowhere to be seen. But in 2 Kings six fifteen through 17 it says, Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And a servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, right now is a time that a, a great army was sent by the King of Aram to capture Elijah, because basically the king didn't like what Elijah was doing. There was that conflict that was happening. And the truth is that sometimes we're going to face opposition in our lives because we're doing the will of God. So the question is, do we we stand or do we cower in fear? Do we stand and boldly proclaim what God has for our lives? Or do we run and hide? And I think sometimes... We back away because we're, we're afraid we're in this alone. And what's going to happen if he makes fun of me or he does this to me or does that to me? Or, you know, we feel like we're in this alone. But as we see right here, Elijah is talking to his servant when he's fully surrounded by a full army of chariots and horses. And he says, God, open his eyes. Let him see that, that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's eyes were open, and he sees fiery chariots, and the mountain was full of horses and fiery chariots. The angels of God were surrounding Elijah. God was with Elijah. And I want you to know that God is with you today. In Romans 8:31 it says, "Then what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us?" God is on your side there's you're not alone when you when you face sometimes some stuff that's pushing back against you stand boldly in confidence that God is by your side first John 4 4 says you are from God little children and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world write that verse down memorize it one John 4 4 greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world So what about the times when it seems like God is doing nothing? You know, look, press on, move forward, walk boldly because the the word of God is true. No matter what you're experiencing in your life, there's truth in the word of God and what he says is real. Like Pastor Andy Elm said that we continue walking in our corridor of faith, the area between the the promise and the realization of that promise. And he said something that, that I thought was a great quote and he said if god leads you in he will lead you out because he will never lead you on and that's something that you can take comfort in god is with you always be bold be strong second corinthians 10:3 through 5 says for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh did you guys know you were at war for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The truth is we're at war. Not with people. But there are powers that want us dead. There's, there's an enemy that wants to pull us down. The truth is, the enemy can't win. The enemy has been defeated. There's, There's no chance of him ever winning. So the best he can do is try to drag you down with him. So let's get a little violent. Let's get a little strong and bold and stand against him. See, here it says that we don't war according to the flesh. We're not warring against people. People are not the problem. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely power for the destruction of fortresses. You know, when we, when we think that we're worrying of going to the flesh when we go out and stand people that aren't living their lives right or doing silly things and we tell them that they're going to hell, that's not, that's not any kind of battle that we should be fighting. That doesn't help them. It just makes it harder for God to touch them because they see God in our foolish actions. What I mean by that is that we're ambassadors and they look at what we do and they think that's who God is. Even when we act in ungodly ways because we're Christians. They push him away because they see the behavior in us that is attributed to him. And the truth is, when we look at other people, I want you to know that, that God doesn't hate these people. You know, God, I see those signs that, that says God hates homosexuals, and I just want to, like, did you miss, is there somewhere in the Bible that I that I, I didn't get? I must have got a chapter ripped out or something because God doesn't hate homosexuals. God doesn't hate people that have or perform abortions. We have, I mean, we had so-called Christians bombing abortion clinics. What is that? God doesn't hate strippers. God doesn't hate people that lie. God doesn't, all these sins. God doesn't hate those people. He hates the sin, but he doesn't hate the people. And the truth is that, that none of those people are going to hell because of the sin that they're committing. Nobody's going to hell because they're gay. Nobody's going to hell because they had an abortion or they performed an abortion or, or that they were a liar. No one's going to hell because they murdered somebody. They're going to hell because they didn't accept the free gift of God. That's the only reason they're going to hell, because those sins were paid for because God loved them so much. You know, it makes me wonder, if God loved them so much, why are we so afraid to tell them? Why are we so afraid to stand up for the promises of God even in their lives? But instead, we don't want to cause a stir because we might offend them if we tell them that that God loves them. So if that's the case, then how do we war? If if we're not warring against people, how do we war? You know, one of the greatest things you can do is just tell people that Christ loves them, that God loves them. You don't tell somebody that they're going to hell because of what they're doing. You tell them that that God died for them. He gave all for them. Jesus Christ went to the cross for them so that they could be made whole. We can combat incorrect views of God in Christians and how we live our life. Let's be a a witness of God's love in everything that we do. That's how we can war. You know, when we can live a a life that is is, uh, uh, a complementary to how God actually is. When people see God's living in us, that gives us the opportunity to share the gospel with people. When we don't live hypocritical lives or, or, or live like people who aren't Christians, or live like people who don't love God, when we, we live a, a godly life, then we can make an impact in their lives. You see, the gospel is divinely powerful. Our weapon of warfare is not a flesh, but it's divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You know, those sins that we talked about and, and all sin are fortresses in people's lives that need to be torn down, and only the gospel can do that. Only a, a new life inside of them can destroy the things that are enslaving them. You know, if we want to change the world, we'll never do it by making holier laws. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of people think that if we, uh, if we can get the laws changed, then everything's going to be better. But that doesn't change anything. It just changes the law. It doesn't change people's hearts. If we want to live in a better world... We need to start reaching out to the people that make the laws. Let's go ahead and share with them the gospel and give them the love of Christ. And when they have a changed heart, how I many you know that if, if everybody in this world gave their life to, life to Christ and they were all had a changed life inside of them, a new heart, then we wouldn't even have an argument over laws. It would just be the way that we live our life. The laws that we made would, would be in accordance with the, the will of God because the people were. You know, and on top of that, the the power of God in people's lives is gonna change them. It's gonna give them health. Health, health. It'll have all their needs met. They'll be strong and able to cope with whatever thing that comes. And that's what we can give them. That's that's the, the weapons of our warfare is, is giving them what Christ has for them. And then finally it says here that we are taking every thought captive. The obedience of Christ. Have you have you ever heard the expression that you can stop a bird? You can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from making a nest. You know, we need to take thoughts captive that enter our life. Don't let these rogue thoughts manifest into actions. And these aren't even, aren't just temptation and sinful thoughts, but these are the, the the thoughts that are not in alignment with the Word of God. When you, when you when you have a thought that says, "Oh, I feel so sick today. I'm I'm sick," or or these things in my life are going on. When you have these kind of thoughts that aren't aligned with the promises of God, take them captive and replace them with thoughts that say, no, I will rise up on wings like eagles. I'm strong in Him. By His stripes I am healed. Start replacing, captive those bad thoughts. Take them captive and replace them with godly thoughts. You know, the, the point of all these verses that I've been talking about right now was I just wanted to show you guys that the... That we're not a passive religion. That Christianity is not passive in hoping everything's going to be okay. Sitting down on our blessed assurance, hoping that everything's going to work out. But we need to stand and be aggressive in our, our going for the promises of God. They are ours, so let's take them. And don't let somebody else steal them from you. Don't let the enemy steal them from you. Don't let this world steal them from you. But be bold in your proclamations, Amen. So let's take a look at a, at a couple people that, that did that very thing. In the, and there's plenty of stories in the Bible. I'm just going to take a look at a couple of them that I think aren't always looked at. But in Matthew 15:21 through 28, it says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, "'Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us.' But he answered and said, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, "'Lord, help me.' And he answered and said, "'It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs.' But she said, "'Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table.' Then Jesus said to her, "'O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish.' And her daughter was healed at once." How many times have you ever came against an impossible situation in your life? you ever had situations where you feel like that you're never going to make it through? There's no way that you're going to make it through this this time. This lady was in one right now. First off, she's a Gentile. She doesn't have the promises of God. She's not part of the, the Jewish religion. Then on top of that, and, and this is, this is uh, parts of her situation that are in addition to the fact that that uh, her her daughter is is demon-possessed and sick and needs to be healed. But she's a a Gentile, and she's going to to Jesus, who's a Jew, for help. Because Jesus, at this point, was only ministering to the Jews at this time. Matter of fact, he says here that it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He was there, at this point in his ministry, he was there to minister to the Jews. Jesus was literally ignoring her, because the time of the Gentiles had not come. And on top of that, now the, the disciples are getting annoyed, saying, send her away. These good Christian men, send her away. We don't want nothing to do with her. I mean, that's a tough situation. But how many know that she, she took a stand? How many know she, she had to be a little bit violent, a little bit aggressive, not physically violent, but in her spirit, she had to be willing to take a stand against all these things pressing against her? See, the truth is that she had a revelation of who Jesus would, who was. Jesus was. He says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She knew who he was. She had a revelation of who he was that even I think the disciples didn't have at that time. She knew that he could make a difference and that, that, that his love was, was more than what was showing at the time. She, she knew that he would work in her life and do a miracle. So she stood on that. She aggressively took a stand. her faith became a catalyst that caused her to press on against insurmountable odds. And I I don't know why. I don't know what her knowledge was of the scriptures, if she had time to spend time in the Old Testament. or I don't know why, but she was convinced that he was the answer. Are you convinced that God's the answer in your life? Are you convinced? She was going to come get her blessing by force if necessary. She was convinced. She received her miracle because she didn't give up. She was bold. She was strong. And she was convinced. You see, faith is being convinced that, that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. And the truth is that we have an even greater reason to press on than this way he had. Because the, the time of the promises of God are for us now. We're not even pressing against the, the flow. The, these promises are for us. And we can stand for them. Another time that Jesus did a miracle where he was, he was kind of forced into doing it was with his mom. On John 2, 1, uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour is not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. This is just a funny, funny story to me. First off, Jesus' mom took a stand. I mean, uh, as moms, you got to take a stand with your kids every now and then when they don't want to do what you're said. I mean, she kind of took this miracle by force. Jesus didn't want to do it. He's like, it's not my time yet, woman. <laughs> but the truth is, she knew who he was. I mean, she knew he was the son of God. I mean, she was there when the angel came and told her that she would be, uh, have the, the Holy Spirit make a child inside of her. And I think it's funny because she doesn't even acknowledge his protest. Nowhere in here does you see him saying, Come on, son, just do it. She just ignores him. <laughs> He's like, Mom, I ain't going to do it. She's like, whatever he says, do it. Doesn't even acknowledge him. It's almost like in my head it's like he starts talking back and she grabs him by the ear, drags him over to the servants. Whatever he says, do it. Doesn't even acknowledge him. But she was taking a stand. She knew who Jesus was. And then she says something interesting. She says, do what he tells you to do. And this is advice we can all take. Do what he tells you to do. Did Jesus ever say to beg God to help you? To beg God for for this stuff in your life? Does he ever say to perform, perform these three rituals and God will make a difference in your life? If you'll just do these three things, God will take care of you. Jesus never said any of these things. What did Jesus say? He said, say to this mountain. To be cast in the sea, and it'll be cast into the sea. Stand up and say something. Be aggressive. It's time to stop telling our problems, stop telling our God about our problems, we start telling our problems about our God. Start proclaiming the promises in our life. Amen. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. When God promises something, it is done it is truth it's not a uh, it's not a this could happen might happen should happen but it or would happen it it is happened this this is the truth of god and numbers 23:19 it says god is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not make it good we can have pro- we can have confidence in the promises of god for our lives we don't have to wonder or hope they're for us. Maybe they're for somebody else and not for us. But they're for us and we can stand with confidence that they're for us. God is not going to change his mind. He's, he's not the, the deadbeat dad that promises he's going to come to your soccer game but never shows up. When God promises, he'll be there. Amen? You know, we're never going to have to hear an apology from God saying, sorry, I couldn't make it. I know I I promised I would do this, but I I, I mean, we've all, as fathers, I think every father in this room has had a point in our life when we've made a promise and we didn't keep it. We didn't, and we've had to apologize and say, you know, I'm sorry. But God will never have to apologize to us because he will always keep his promise to us. Amen. And the truth is, we're going to spend the rest of this message going through some of the promises of God. And the truth is, there are too many promises in the Bible for us to go. I mean, if we wanted to go through them all, we could be here for the next four or five days straight. So I've picked out a few really important ones, I think, that we need to grab hold of and proclaim in our life. And that's what we're going to look at the rest of this message. The first one is that you are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed. This is one of the fundamental truths we need to grab hold of in our lives. It says, "By His wounds, we were healed." Anybody remember when those wounds happened? <laughs> Zip it. <laughs> <laughs> happened <laughs> over two thousand years ago. Christ suffered these wounds. So, if His wounds are what healed us, how how long ago was your sickness healed? It was a done deal 2,000 years ago. Sometimes our bodies kind of get in disagreement with what God's Word has to say. The difference between truth and fact, I've talked to before. The the fact is that you might be feeling sick, but the truth is that you're healed by His stripes. And we need to forcefully proclaim this healing in in our lives. We need to stand up and say it out loud when we feel like a cold's coming on and say, No, I will not have a cold. I am healed in the name of Jesus. Say it out loud. Because we're not begging God to heal us. We're not hoping that he's going to heal us. We don't have to ask politely or it won't happen. We just need to proclaim the truth of what is already reality. Claim it for your life. If You guys remember we went and prayed for Veronica in the hospital. If you, were, if you listened to what I was praying, I never once asked God to heal her. But I thank God that she was healed. And even afterwards, I explained to everybody, this isn't a time to beg God, but to to stand on the promise of his word. And praise God, two days later, she's got the the breathing tubes out, she's awake and she's talking. God is moving in her body because we proclaim healing because it is hers. Amen? Amen. We need to stand and be forceful and, and make our bodies come into alignment with the reality of the truth of God. So what about when we don't feel healed? What about when we don't feel good? Proclaim that you are. If you don't proclaim that you are, then in essence you're proclaiming that you aren't. You're doing one of the two. Like Pastor Andy said, your silence is a declaration. The worst thing that we can ever do is claim these illnesses in our lives. And many times I don't even think we realize we do it. What about, has anybody ever said, my allergies are killing me? My allergies are acting up. When you say my allergies, you're claiming them as your own. Stop. The fact may be that allergies are, are acting up in your body, but the truth is that you're healed in the name of Jesus. What My diabetes is causing me problems. My addiction is too strong. Stop claiming these things for your life. Amen? Amen. Part of being healthy and making a stand is also a decision to live healthy. And I think this is this can speak to uh, most people in the United States today. But you can't. <laughs> have you ever <laughs> the people that are, are praying for something? You're know, praying over the the bag of Cheetos. Lord, please nourish this to my body. I mean, there's some things God's just not going to do. You got to make smart decisions about what you're doing. You can't sit on the couch eating Cheetos in your underwear and expect God to heal you and make you all better. You can't smoke two packs of cigarettes a day and get upset with God if you get lung cancer. Amen? Amen. Now, I thank God that even in those situations where we make poor decisions, that God will still heal us of those things. Because our body was still paid for, but we've got to start making correct decisions in our lives, right? Part of taking a stand is making those decisions. Amen? The next one is that we need to proclaim that our needs are met. In Matthew 6.33 it says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And in Philippians 4.19 it says my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As believers God promises to take care of us. He promises that all of our needs will be met. So let's begin to proclaim those things for our lives when things don't seem like they're working out. Forcefully taking hold of this promise means getting up and doing something about it, that first step of faith. If you're having problems with your finances and you need a better job, start putting out applications. Start operating in the fact that you know God is going to take care of you, so we're going to step out in faith and do these things knowing that God is going to take care of us. He has promised provision in our life, so let's get up and take hold of it. Waiting for God to drop a, a bucket of money or a job on your lap is not a good plan. But standing up and proclaiming his promises and then going out there and taking that step is. You remember when Israel crossed the Jordan River for the second time with, with Joshua? The priest had to actually step in the water before the river parted. Sometimes we have to step in the water. When, when Peter walked on water... How many know that uh, he didn't wait for assurances from God or anything? He he took the step. He put his foot on the water and trusted God because he knew that his his God would be faithful, that Jesus would be there for him. He he took the step. Sometimes we've got to take a step. And finally, in this area, we don't need to worry that if if we receive our blessing that somebody else is going to have lack. You know, we sometimes I think we don't pray for stuff thinking, oh, this is just such a minor thing. I don't want to inconvenience God and take away from somebody else. I want you to know that these things are supplied according to his riches, which are inexhaustible. So stand on the promises of God in your life. First John 8 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We need to stand up and say, I am an overcomer, I am victorious. Sometimes things in life are going to be difficult to pass through. Being a Christian doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect from that point on, but it does mean that you will always come out the other side, that you are, will overcome and be victorious in whatever comes your way. I remember quitting smoking some years ago. It was one of the hardest things that I ever did. I didn't think I was ever going to make it through that. I, I thought it was impossible to do. But in Christ, I was able to overcome now, you want to hear some dumb stuff that I did right after I quit smoking? I figured it would be a good idea to start dipping again, start chewing again. And uh, almost as hard to quit as smoking. I mean, that, that's a, the addiction involved in that. And and uh, I remember when, when I uh, was trying to quit that again, there would be times that I would fail. And has anybody ever failed at something? You go, oh, well, I guess I'll just start again tomorrow. And they just blow the rest of the day. And I remember doing that. I don't know how many times I did it, but one time God said to me, you know, there's always going to be tomorrows. At some point, you have to make a stand on the promises of God and saying, oh, I failed, I'll just try again tomorrow. I'll say, I may have failed, but the Bible says that I'm an overcomer and I'm going to continue pressing on forward, that I am victorious in this area, that I have been freed from from these things in my life, that I am free from the sin, the bondage, the addiction. I am free and I'm going to stand on that. Even though I stumbled, I'm getting back up. And I'm not going to wait till tomorrow to do it. I'm going to do it right now. Amen? When temptation comes your way, say it out loud. I am free. I'm victorious. I have overcome because Christ has overcome. Amen? Next, we need to know that we have strength. In Isaiah 40:28 through 31, it says, "Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles." They will run and not get tired, they will walk and not become weary. You know, there's times in your life that you're going to feel like you don't have enough strength to go on. Maybe you're in a workplace where it feels like everybody's just beating you down and you're getting persecuted. There's just too much, it's too much to bear. want you know that God will give you strength, stand in this promise. Or maybe you're going to have some relationships that are wearing you down. Family members causing difficulty or or different things. Proclaim this over your life. Proclaim that I will walk and not become weary. I will run and not get tired. I will mount up with wings like eagles. I will have the strength to get through this. I have this. Not even I will have this. I have the strength to make it through this. Maybe you're in a situation where it just seems like there's just too much going on. And I think a lot of us can, can know this one. Our life's just too busy between work, school, church, kids, family, etc. You name it, throw your, your stuff in the mix. You're like, how can I do this? I'm just exhausted all the time. No, that you have strength in Christ. He's promised to give you strength. You don't have to beg for it or ask for it. It's a reality. You have his strength. Take hold of it aggressively. Begin to say out loud, thank you, God, that I have strength to carry on. Thank you, God, that I am not weary. I'm not tired. but Thank you, God, that I am refreshed. But what if you feel differently? Are you lying? Like I said, there's a difference between the truth and the fact. You might feel tired, but the truth is that you have strength in Christ. And if you'll stand in that promise, you'll begin to notice a difference in your life. And the final one that I want to look at today, and like I said, this is just a drop in the bucket compared to all the promises. But it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Another one, write this down and memorize it. This is a a great verse to to minister to people when you're trying to preach to them and tell them about the gospel. Say, Hey, that if you're in Christ, you're a brand new creature because the old is past. This is something I think that we need to proclaim every day. It wouldn't hurt to get up every morning and say, thank God that I am brand new in Christ, that the old man is dead and gone, and I have a new life inside of me. Anytime that you're feeling worn out or you're feeling like the, the enemy is trying to make a go at you or you feel that old life trying to creep back into you, say it out loud. Thank you, Father, that I'm a brand new person in you, that the old man is dead. He has no authority in my life. He has no ability to control in my life. He has no more uh, influence in my wife. My wife. <laughs> oh, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> The old man has the old man doesn't have any influence over my wife either. <laughs> but he has no influence in my life. Praise God that I am brand new. Amen. So let's 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 stand and let's let's proclaim that that these promises let's violently proclaim these promises for our life let's aggressively take a stand let's stop being wishy-washy and mealy-mouthed and and just passive sitting back waiting for 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 god to just step into our life and throw his promises at him but let's go ahead and stand up and take them for our lives amen amen, amen. let's go ahead and stand up and uh will we'll, we'll uh, pray and end the service